Welcome to the Horror Babble Podcast. The Tree's Wife by Mary Elizabeth Councilman I smiled at my companion, Hetty Morrison, County Welfare Investigator for the Bald Mountain District. When I dropped into her office that morning, mostly to dig up nostalgic old memories of our college days at the University of Virginia, I found her arguing over the telephone with a local mechanic. But I have to make a field trip this morning. Why can't you get the parts? Take them out of somebody else's car. Oh, the devil with what you think wouldn't be right. This family may be starving. Hetty had hung up, still sputtering. A gaunt, severe-looking old maid with a heart as big as the Blue Ridge Mountains. She glanced up then, to see me grinning at her, jingling the car keys of my new club coupé by way of an invitation. We were such close friends, no words were needed. Hetty merely jerked a nod, slammed on her hat, and started out the door with me in tow. "'You'll be sorry,' she warned me. "'The road I have to take is an old Indian trail. And if they had to get back and forth on that,' No wonder they're called the Vanishing Americans. You'll break a spring. I looked so dismayed, pausing to unlock my first new car in ten years, that she closed one eye in a crafty look I knew so well from days at college when she was about to ask the loan of my best hose. It's a dull trip. Just routine fieldwork. Of course you wouldn't be interested, she drawled casually. In Florella Dabney, the girl who married a tree. We pass right by that Dabney place. No, no, dear, you're liable to scratch up that nice blue paint. And Holy Creek crosses the road four times. We'd have to drive through it, hub deep. I always get stuck and have to... I scowled at my old friend, familiar with all her clever tricks of getting her way, but still unable to cope with them. Tree? I demanded. Did you say, married a... That's right, Hetty nodded with a smug grin. It's a strange case. Almost a legend up around Bald Mountain. Although, she added, blatantly climbing into my car, it's not without precedent in the old Greek legends. Zeus was forever turning some girl into a spring or a flower or some inanimate object so his wife Hera wouldn't find out about his goings-on. Even as late as the 15th century, there were proxy weddings, where some queen or other married her knight's sword because he was off at war. Then there's an African tribe in which the men are married at puberty to some tree. I grimaced impatiently, climbed into the coupé, and started it with a jerk. Hetty had aroused my interest, and well she knew it, she would get her ride over the wild, bushy crest of Bald Mountain, or I would never find out about that girl who married a tree. An hour later, bouncing over a rocky trail pressed closely on both sides by scrub pine and mountain laurel, she began to tell me about Florella Dabney and the bloody feud that a trained psychiatrist might explain had left her a mental case with a strange delusion. The Dabneys, Hetty related, had built their cabin and begun to wrest a living out of the side of Bald Mountain about the time of Daniel Boone. Six generations of underfed, overworked mountaineers had lived therein, 
planting a little, hunting a little, and raising a batch of children as wild as the foxes that made inroads on their chicken supply. Florella was the youngest daughter, a shy, willowy child of fifteen, with flowing dark hair and big, luminous dark eyes like a fawn. Barefoot, clad in the simple gingham shift that all mountain girls wore, she could be seen running down the steep side of Old Baldy, as nimbly as a city child might run along a sidewalk. Her older brothers and sisters married. Her mother died, and Florella lived with her father now on the sparse farm. On the other side of the mountain lived another such family of old settlers, the Jenningses. As far back as anyone could remember, there had been bad blood between the two, starting with a free-for-all over a load of cordwood which had sent two Dabneys to the hospital and three Jenningses to jail. Both attended the little mountain church perched on the ridge side that divided their farms, but no Jennings ever spoke to a Dabney, even at all-day singings, when everyone was pleasantly full of food and home brew. No Dabney would sit left of the aisle, and any baptising that was done in Holy Creek after a rousing revival meeting had to be arranged with Jenningses and Dabneys immersed on alternate days. Reverend Posey Adkins, the lay preacher, recognised this as a regrettable but inevitable condition. And that was the law on Bald Mountain. Up until the spring evening, when Joe Ed Jennings and Florella Dabney run off together. When and how they had ever seen enough of each other to fall in love, neither family could imagine. Joe Ed was a stocky blonde boy who could play a guitar and shoot the eye out of a possum at fifty yards, but not much else. What astonished everyone was Florella's regard for such a do-little, since she was halfway promised to a boy from Owl's Hollow. It was assumed, when a party of hunters saw them streaking through the woods one night, that Florella had been carried off by force, much against her will. She had gone out after one of the hogs, which had strayed. At midnight, when she had not returned, her pa, Leif Dabney, went out to search for her, ran into the hunting party, and promptly stalked back to his cabin for his rifle. He was starting out again, with murder in his close-set, mean little eyes, when a pair of frightened young people suddenly walked through the sagging front gate. With them was Preacher Adkins, dressed either for a burying or a marrying, with the good book clutched in a hand that trembled. But he spoke steadily. Leif, these two young'uns are sinned, but the Lord's likely done forgive them already. Now they aim to marry, so don't try and stop it. Without preamble, he motioned for Florella and Joed to stand under a big white oak that grew in the front yard, towering over the rough cabin and silhouetted darkly against the moonlit sky. High up on the trunk, if Leif had noticed, was cut a heart with the initials J.E.J. and F.D. Solemnly, the old preacher began to intone the marriage ceremony, while Florella's pa stood there staring at them, his lean face growing darker with fury, his tight mouth working. Hardly had the immortal words, Do you take this man, been spoken, when he whipped the rifle to his shoulder and fired at Joed, point blank. The boy was dead 
as he crumpled up at his bride's small bare feet. I'll learn you to go sparking our girl behind my back, Leif roared. You trifle in no account. He never finished, for a second shot rang out in the quiet night. Leif Dabney pitched forward on his face, crawled across the body of his prospective son-in-law, and fired twice toward the powder flash in the woods beyond the cabin. A moment later, all hell broke loose. It seems that Reverend Adkins had expected just such a blow-up. Someone had carried the news to Joe Ed's pa. Clem Jennings had also hastened to the spot to stop the wedding. The old preacher, fearing this, had notified the law. The sheriff, with a hastily gathered posse, had showed up at the moment when Leif and Clem fired at each other, over the body of young Joe Ed and the prostrate sobbing form of his near bride. In a matter of minutes, the posse had both fathers handcuffed and hauled off to jail, but behind them they left a tragic tableau, little Florella weeping over the body of her lost lover, with old Reverend Adkins standing dumbly in the background. Two of the posse had stayed behind to help with Joed's body, which the weeping girl had begged the preacher to bury, then and there, under our tree. It was there Joed had first caught her and kissed her, holding his hand over her mouth and laughing, with Leif not ten yards away. It was there, in the night, that she had first told him she loved him, and promised to slip away with him into the deep, silent woods of Old Baldy, for a lover's tryst forbidden by both their families. It was there, months later, terrified and ashamed, that she had sobbed out to him that she was with child. She knew there was nothing left but to kill herself. Her lover was a Jennings, and she had expected no more from him than a few moments of wild, secret ecstasy. But Joed had surprised her, Fiercely protective and loyal, he had announced that, the following night, he would stand with her under the tree in the Dabney's yard and have Preacher Adkins marry them right in front of Old Leaf. His child must bear his name, the boy said proudly and tenderly, and he hoped it would be a fawn-eyed little girl, exactly like Florella. All this, Old Preacher Adkins related to the two members of the posse, while they took turns digging a grave for Joe Ed Jennings, at the foot of the big white oak under which he was to have been married. Florella stood numbly by, watching and no longer crying, like a trapped animal at last resigned to its bitter fate. But regarding her, the old lay preacher suddenly remembered a story from his school days, a myth, a legend. Walking over to the girl, he took her hand quietly and led her over to the tree, where the two pitying neighbours were just patting the last spadeful of dirt over Joe Ed's crude grave. Daughter, the old preacher said, I've heard tell of queens in the old days marrying a sword that belonged to some fella that had been killed in battle. Now, Joe Ed, he'd want you should go ahead and take his name so I'm going to make out like this here tree is Joed in being buried underneath it. I want you two men, he faced the gravedigger solemnly, to witness this here marrying of Joed Jennings and Florella Dabney. 
he raised his eyes humbly. If it's a wrong thing I'm doing, punish me, Lord. If it's right, bless this year ceremony. There, in the moonlit night, the old preacher proceeded with that strange proxy wedding of a girl to a tree. The two members of the posse stood by, wide-eyed and amazed, as they heard Reverend Adkins repeat the familiar words of the marriage ceremony, heard Florella's sobbing replies, and then heard, was it only wind in the great tree towering above them, or was it... Both men later swore that what they heard sounded like a whispering voice, a man's voice, Joe Ed's, coming from the depths of those thick green branches. But, as Hetty remarked dryly, it had been a hysterical night, and hysteria can play weird tricks on the human senses numerous times. Well, that isn't all, I demanded, as my car lurched madly into Holy Creek's third crossing and plunged wetly out again. What happened to the girl, with her father in prison, who looked after her while... Was the child all right? Slow down, you idiot! Hetty snapped at me pleasantly, clinging to the car door on her side. Yes, of course the child was all right. A little girl. I had welfare send a doctor out there when we got the message that Florella was in labour. She had been living on in her father's cabin, quite alone, for the simple reason that all her relatives and all of Joe Ed's were afraid to come near the place. I frowned, puzzled. Why? Because of the tree, Hetty said blandly. Word got around that it was haunted, that Joe Ed had gone into that oak, and, well, that it was alive, sentient, that is, that it didn't behave like a tree anymore. I must say, look out for that rock, you goose. Want to wreck this thing? I must say some of these things that happened were odd, to say the least. I slowed down obediently, picking my way over the rocky road, anything to keep Hetty on the story that had so captured my imagination. What things? I demanded. Anybody can hear voices in the wind, leaves rustling, branches rubbing together. But, Hetty drawled, just anybody can't see a tree catch a live rabbit, or a dove that has lit on a branch of it. Just anybody can't... What? I gaped at her. I never heard of anything so ridiculous. My attempted laugh sounded flat, however, even to my own ears. How on earth could... Don't ask me, Hetty said cheerfully. All I know is, the lower branch of that big white oak kept Florella supplied with meat. Rabbits, doves, once a possum. They got choked some way, got their necks caught in the twigs. She'd find them there, all ready to be cooked and eaten, the way any good mountaineer might trap to feed his family. So she got to believe in that he caught them. Joe Ed had quite a reputation as a hunter and trapper. Good Lord! I tried to laugh again. You're not hinting... The poor kid! I broke off pityingly. But an experience like that would naturally affect her mind. Living there all alone, too with a baby. Then, Hetty went on pleasantly, there was the fall day, real cold, when a neighbour woman dropped in. Nosy old sister, 
just wanted to say something spiteful to Florella about the baby. When she was leaving, though, well, Hetty chuckled. It seems her coat got tangled in a tree branch that dipped down over the gate. It yanked the coat right off her back, the way she told it. She lit out of there, screaming bloody murder, and told everybody that Joe Ed took her coat for Florella. When the girl tried to return it to her, she wouldn't touch it, said it wasn't her best coat anyhow, and she wasn't going to argue with a tree. Oh, no. I shook my head, laughing, but still trying to ignore a small shiver that kept running down my spine. These mountain people are awfully superstitious, aren't they? Naturally, it was just the woman's fear that made her think. Maybe, Hattie said dryly. But it wasn't fear that snatched my new hat off last spring, when I happened to walk under that tree. Checking up on Florella. She's a hardship case, of course. Yes, sir, she said in a queer tone. Big limbs swooped down and snatched that bonnet right off my head. I couldn't reach it, and Florella couldn't climb up and get it. Too soon after the baby's arrival, poor girl was still kind of weak. But the way she giggled and started talking to that tree like it was a person. Honestly, it made my flesh crawl. She was so matter-of-fact about it. Joe Ed, you rascal, she said. Give Miss Hetty back her bonnet now. I don't need no fancy clothes. Me and the baby's doing just fine. Hetty peered at me sheepishly. Way she said it made me feel like... like a selfish old turkey gobbler. Besides... A hat like that was too pretty for an old hatchet face like me. But it did give me a turn, I'll have to admit, when... She gulped slightly. When I told Florella she could have the hat, it... It immediately fell out of the tree. Plop! Right smack on that girl's head. I must say, she added crossly, it was very becoming. Probably the first one she ever owned, poor little thing. Leif was a stingy old coot. Florella's mother never had a rag she didn't weave herself. I turned the steering wheel sharply to avoid a raccoon ambling across the trail. Then I peered at Hattie. Go on, I said grimly. Tell me how the tree shed its wood in stacks so Florella wouldn't have to chop any. Hetty chuckled. Oh no! Mountain men take it for granted that their wives must work like mules. All they do is feed them, shelter them, and protect them, with an occasional pretty thrown in when they feel in a generous mood. That's what Florella expected from her tree husband, and that's what she got. Though I suppose a psychologist would say her delusion gave her a sense of security that merely made her able to fend for herself. Lots of people need a crutch for their self-confidence, if it's only a lucky coin they carry around. Coincidence and superstition, hmm? Well, my friend smiled. I am obliged to you for the lift. We had a message that Kirby Marsh, a farmer who lives near the Dabney place, got in a fight with somebody and crawled home, pretty banged up. His wife is bedridden, so they'll need help if he's seriously injured. You were a lifesaver to bring me. This is the turn, she broke off abruptly grinning at me with a sly twinkle in her eye. The Dabney farm is just around this bend. I slowed down, feeling again that cold shiver run down my spine as we rounded the curve. An old cabin 
of square-hewn logs perched on the mountainside a few yards above the road, with the usual well in the yard and the usual small truck garden in the back. A huge white oak towered over the gate of a sagging rail fence. Its sturdy trunk leaned a bit toward the house in a curiously protective manner, shading the worn front stoop with its thick dark green foliage. I braked the car outside the gate, and Hetty grinned at my expression. There it is, she announced dryly. There's where the girl lives who married a tree, and that's the tree. That's him. I got out of the coupé and walked warily up to the gate. Hetty climbed out stiffly and called in her pleasantly harsh voice, Hello? Hello, the house? In traditional mountain style. There was no answer, but all at once I saw a quilt pallet spread under the oak Hetty had indicated as him. A fair-haired baby girl was sprawled on the folded quilt, gurgling and cooing. She looked to be about two years old, with the sturdy good health of most mountain children, despite their skimpy diet and constant exposure to the elements. I stood watching her for a moment, charmed by the picture she made. Then I frowned. She's too young to be left alone, I muttered. Where's her mother? Oh, out picking blueberries, I guess. Hetty shrugged. Josie's all right, though. Her father's minding her, she added with another impish grin at my expression. Hello, she called again. Florella! At that moment, a lovely slender girl came running around the house, her feet bare, her dark hair flying. There was a sprig of laurel over her ear and blackberry stains on her brown fingers. I stared at her, thinking how like a dryad she looked, wild, free, and happily unafraid. Oh, howdy, Miss Hetty, she greeted my friend warmly. Come in and set. Who's that with you, kinfolk? Hetty introduced me as a school chum, with no mention of the fact that I wrote stories of the supernatural for my bread and butter. We entered the gate, and Hetty stooped over to pat the baby, proffering a peppermint from the endless supply she always seemed to carry around. I fidgeted beside her, at a loss for conversation with this pretty, normal-looking young mother, who, from all Hetty had told me, was as crazy as a coot. Once, nervously, I started, as a limb of the great tree under which we stood brushed my shoulder, plucking at my scarf. On impulse, I took it off and gave it to the girl, who beamed and thanked me shyly, then tied it proudly around her own neck. I caught Hetty's eye at that moment, and flushed as she grinned, winked, and glanced up at the giant tree. Then she turned to Florella, lovelier than ever in my blue chiffon scarf, and with no more madness in her face than in mine. I got word that Kirby Marsh was hurt in a fight, my friend said conversationally. Anybody over there looking after his wife and kids? Heard the doctor came and took Kirby to the hospital with concussion and a sprained shoulder. Must have been some fight to have... Hetty broke off, noticing the girl's sudden expression of regret beyond the politeness expected of a neighbour. Florella ducked her head suddenly with a rueful little smile. Yes, ma'am, she said simply, 
he came over here to our place last night and went to pestering me. Oh, not that Kirby ain't a real nice fella, she apologized for her neighbor gently. Except him when he's liquored up. I told him to leave go of me, she added with wifely dignity. Told him Joe Ed wouldn't like it, but he wouldn't listen. So I run out to Joe Ed with it a storming awful. He'd been a banging on the roof to warn Kirby, but he likely thought twas only the wind. I gulped, racked with pity, and threw a glance at my friend. Then, Hetty prompted softly in an odd tone, you ran out into the yard, Kirby ran after you, and... And Joe Ed, he wanged him over the head. The girl finished, half apologetic, half proud, as any other woman might speak of a husband who had stoutly defended her honour. He liked to busted Kirby's skull wide open, but he hadn't ought to have tried to kiss me, she defended primely. Ought he, Miss Hetty? And me, a married woman with a young'un? No, dear, Hetty answered, in the gentlest voice I have ever heard her use. No, Joe Ed did the right thing. I don't think Kirby was badly injured, but somebody has to look after his folks while he's in the hospital. Did you go over and see his wife today? Yes, ma'am, the girl said quietly. But they wouldn't let me in. I reckon on account they were scared. I mean, of Joe Ed. But he wouldn't hurt nobody less than they was bothering me or the baby. He's real good-hearted. Yes, my friend said softly. I understand. Well, don't worry about it, dear. Next time, Kirby will know better. I rather imagine, she chuckled, that this experience will keep him sober for some time. The girl nodded shyly and bent to pick up the child, but small Josie toddled away from her and ran around the great tree to where a low limb dipped almost to the ground. Pa, she chirped suddenly, holding up her chubby arms to the giant oak. Fing baby, fing hi pa. Florella laughed, shaking her head mildly, and calling, No, no now, Joe Ed, you're liable to drop that young'un, don't ye? But as I stared, that low limb dipped down as under unseen pressure. The child Josie seized it, and, as I gasped at the spectacle, was tossed ten feet off the ground, as if a gust of wind had blown the branch skyward. It had scooped up the baby, swinging her high above us. Then, as gently, it set her down again, while the young mother shook her head again in laughing reproof. My scalp crawled at her matter-of-fact, unself-conscious manner. Joed's always a-doing that, she said pleasantly. She loves it. Why, Miss Hetty? She broke off, pouting as I sidled pointedly back toward the gate. I thought y'all would stay for dinner. Joed caught me a rabbit, and I was just fixing to fry it real nice and brown. Can't you stay? But I was out the gate and climbing into my car by that time, shaking my head covertly and beckoning for Hetty to come away. For some reason, which I will always firmly deny, my teeth were clinking like castanets, and I kept glancing up nervously at that tall, spreading oak tree, brooding over the little mountain cabin and the woman and child who lived there alone. Alone? 
Pitiful case, isn't it? Hetty murmured cheerfully as she climbed into the car and waved goodbye to Florella Dabney, or Mrs. Joseph Edward Jennings, as she was listed in the welfare files. I mean, friend expanded, the way that poor girl lives with her baby, from hand to mouth, and the prey of, well, men like Kirby. She'd be so lonely and frightened if it weren't for that pathetic delusion of hers. And she's got the child believing it now. Guess you noticed her swinging on that tree. She called it Pa. Stout branch to pick up a child that heavy, wasn't it? She drawled carelessly. Wind blew it, I guess, like the other night when it whacked Kirby Marsh over the head. Awful windy up here on old Baldy. She peeked at me slyly, lips twitching. I glared at her and stepped on the gas, aware of the cold perspiration that had sprung out on my forehead. Because it was not windy, it was close and very still, and beside me, Hetty was chuckling softly as I glanced back at the barren little farm. Except for one low limb of that giant oak tree, again tossing that happy child playfully into the air, while its mother looked on, lifting it gently, like a man's strong protective arms. Not a leaf was stirring, as far as we could see, over the rugged mountainside. <laughs>